Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for coming in and joining us. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live across the state of Alaska and uh, across, the, well, you know, across the Internet. You, you know what it's like. Although right now I'm not broadcasting on the peninsula. They're having some problems down at the station down there. So, um it's just you and me and uh, all the folks on the internet and all the folks in the interior. So thanks for coming in and uh, uh, good good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, all right, so uh, hour one of the big radio broadcast this morning. And I appreciate you guys coming in and joining us. We have got uh, some stuff and things. Uh, we've got some stuff and things to discuss. And I want to see what you guys uh, have to say about some stuff as well. Uh, but first, we're going to go over the uh, we're going to go over the uh, headlines from over the weekend, and we're going to talk about some of the stuff uh, that's uh, going on around the state and around the country. Uh, I'm going to I had some time to pontificate this weekend, and uh, I want to. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, maybe some lice, life, lice, maybe some lice. They make a cream for that. Maybe some life lessons learned and some other stuff uh, that we can uh, we can discuss and go on and and uh, we're gonna talk about that. But in hour two, we're gonna get serious. In hour two, we're gonna talk with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. She's gonna be joining us and come in, and she's going to recap um, her presentation in front of the legislature. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with her. Uh, she is the uh, education expert at the Alaska Policy Forum, and she had a uh, she had a discussion on education reform with the legislature here uh, a couple of weeks ago and finally getting a chance to bring her on board this morning to kind of go over that and discuss it. You'll see that in the um, uh, in the uh, Must Read Alaska uh, blog uh, or website, I guess I should say that um, they have a new report out that they're commenting on a new report that is uh, showing the uh, ratio between teachers and administrative staff, and showing that the problem in many of these districts is an overburden of an overburden of administrative staff. Uh, we talked about this with her last time she was on the program um, and we're seeing that uh, 
that in some cases the teacher to staff ratio is about one to one. Sometimes it's slightly over that. But in some districts, for example, in the Tanana City School Districts, uh, there are a lot more than that. So for every uh, the teacher to administrator ratio is 0.35 to one, meaning that there are three, almost three administrators for every one teacher. Um, so again, that's a, the district employs nearly three other staff members for every single teacher, uh, which is a problem, uh, I would say. Uh, if, you know, if nobody else can say it, I'll say it. It's going to be a problem. So we'll talk about her, talk with her about that, not talk about her with that. Uh, we'll talk, uh, uh, about that and, uh, and have that discussion as well. Plus all the other stuff that she points out in the, uh, in, during the discussion of what she showed to the legislature. So, uh, what else is going on? I guess we can uh, start off with some of the headlines and see what uh, is going on out there. Um, I guess we should go to the national level bill first, simply because I think it's topical and it presents a lot of um, uh, presents a lot of issues here for us to deal with. Um, the article is in the Must Read Alaska again. Lots of articles this morning. Uh, coming together out of must read. And uh, the big story is is that on Friday, <clears throat> Republicans passed House Resolution number five called the Parents' Bill of Rights. It was a 213 to 208 vote. And one of the people who voted against the Parental Bill of Rights, our very own Congresswoman for All Alaska. Mary Peltola. She voted against the measure at every opportunity, according to Must Read, along with the rest of House Democrats. She stated on the record that children need privacy from their parents and that schools should keep information from parents so that children are, quote, safe at school. Okay. The bill was written, quote, to ensure the rights of parents are honored and protected in the nation's public schools, according to the resolution. It arose after numerous reports from every state of the union about gender ideology being taught and soft porn being made available to young children at school. The bill requires schools to push uh, to excuse me to publish what the curriculum is, so that parents can see if the uh, topics uh, such as critical race theory, critical gender theory, or other controversial topics are being taught. This, of course, flies in the face of what Democrats. And progressives are pushing for, which is basically a state-run school system that is completely independent of parental wishes or control. Uh, and we've seen this kind of, uh, we've seen this kind of, uh, of uh, you know, absolutism and uh, uh, you know, kind of this idea that we know better than you from many Terry McAuliffe in his race in Virginia, when he lost his race in Virginia, one of the prime reasons he lost that race was because parents were outraged about some of the things that were going on in school. And he literally said from the campaign trail that parents should have no input on what's being taught in school. And that just infuriated people. I mean, not surprising, 
right? You're sending your kids to these public schools and you want to get all this stuff done. And it is somehow not surprising that they should, um, that parents should want to have a say in what their kids are being educated in. And uh, he then was soundly trounced by Yunkin and, uh, and that was, that was one of the key points. But see, it's happening all over the country. And this is why, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat that horse with a stick. Uh, This is why, if it's possible for you, and I know there's many reasons why many of you say, I mean, it's not possible for you to, uh, it's not possible for you to uh, homeschool your kids. I understand that. Uh, You know, it's everything else. But if you can, homeschooling is going to save you a lot of heartache in the long run, simply because you're not going to have to deal with this madness, this absolute madness of what's going on in our education system, which has been completely subsumed by progressive values. We'll get to that here in a minute. I mean, at every level, we'll get to that part here in a minute. Um, The uh, bill also required the resolution, back to the House resolution, the bill also requires schools to get permissions from parents before referring to their children by an alternative secret gender pronoun, he, him, zer, he, zer, she, her, they, them, z, here. I don't know. I can't even pronounce them all. Or any other pronouns that gender ideologues are promoting to younger and younger children. Schools would not be allowed to regender a child or refer to a child by a different name than the one given to the child by the parent. It also says the children must use the locker room or bathroom of the gender with which they were conceived or born. In other words, uh, schools that receive federal funding would not be allowed uh, to have boys who are identifying as girls use these facilities. Students would also be required to give parents the reading lists that are being given to the students and be transparent about what books are being offered in classrooms and school libraries. The legislation, which now goes to Congress, would boost parents' rights to speak out at school board meetings. Remember last time when they started saying that parents were domestic terrorists for speaking out about and being angry about what was being taught to their children? Yeah. Again, I have a fix for that. Take your kids out of the public school systems and fix that. Now, I know it's not available for everybody, and I know I'm beating a dead horse. But you know what, folks? The tide is rushing in one direction. I would rather pull my kids out of the tide and still fight it. You could still fight the tide. You could still fight the problems that are going on out there. But I would at least, I would rather have my kids out of it while I'm fighting it than seeing them tumble into the surf. Right. You know what I mean? You, you, it, it, it's just, wow. Woof. Um, in the recent months, the Anchorage School Board has prevented a parent from reading material into the record. That is from books that are available to elementary school through high school students. When parent Jay McDonald tried to read from the children's training porn book called Let's Talk About It, he was shut down by the school board, even though it is a title that is uh, or was at one point available to children. So this is, uh, this is, I mean, just, it's problematic to say the least. Um Are there parents who treat their kids badly? Yes. Are they a majority? No. 
Should we basically suspend all parental rights for everyone based on the actions of a few? No. I mean, this is the same reaction that we hear about gun violence and everything else. That it's a, Even though it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, everybody's got to suffer and everybody's got to pay. But this is your children. We, these are your children. And, I mean, we've got to do it. The final comment and capper on this whole thing, Democrats have raged over the bill, which will need to pass the Senate and be signed into law by the president, which is unlikely. Uh, But U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in a floor speech said, our children need urgent and aggressive education solutions. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive values are, and that is, well, first of all, she doesn't even have proper grammar here, but freedom over fascism. So apparently having parents having a say in what's going on with the education of their children is fascism. Don't fall for this BS. Just don't, just don't do it, my friends. This is, we're, we're in a war for the hearts and minds of our children. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's saying too much. I think that we are in a war for the hearts and minds of our children. And we have seen that they have stripped out so much and uh, and we've let them we've allowed them we have sent our kids to these public schools and places and we're just shocked shocked I tell you that our kids come back and say some of the darndest things this is this is the fight was it Khrushchev that said give me give me three generations of teaching and I'll own the of the schools and I'll I can't remember who said it. One of the, one of the Rus- Russian Soviet luminaries said something along the lines of, give me your children for three generations and I'll, you know, this is it. And we're already seeing it. And they have. They have the progressive values and ideals, these non-traditional, what I think would be considered overall to be non-traditional ideals, have uh, infiltrated the schools and continued to do at every level, the educational system at every level. And we'll we'll talk about that here in just a second. But before we do, we got to go. We're going to continue here in a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I don't know why you guys can't hear the music today. The music is going out over the radio, but for some reason... It's, I mean, it's showing up on the thing, but it's not going out on the, um, I wonder, I wonder, how about this? Tell me if you can hear this. Just tell me if you can hear this.
And I'm going to say you probably can't because it didn't show up on my meters. Okay. Um, All right. Well, I found out this morning, I swapped out. I had a piece of equipment fail or partially fail. And so they sent me a replacement and I installed it and everything looked good. Um, But for some reason, it's not recording properly. So it's something I'm going to have to get into that I didn't have time to. I should have done it this weekend, but I was... I was sitting this weekend out. I was taking a break from the world. I was taking a break from the world. Um, All right. Let me go back over here. See what you guys are talking about. Voice is loud and clear. Well, that's that's the good part, isn't it? Peltola, uh, children can grow from the price of their parents. They can grow up and get their own place. Peltola's out of their mind. I've seen some of those books. They are not soft porn. I thought I was going to throw up going through them. It's hardcore perversion. Yeah. And they want more money. Just got a permission slip Friday about sex ed class for fourth graders. Parents can preview the video they'll be showing. I think we're going to opt out, though, and my husband will have the puberty talk after our boy turns 10. Yes. Um... Let's see. The frustrating part is even though Paldolta support abusive and damaging policies, people are stupid and vote for them. Getting your kids out of that cesspool of public schools is the only way to stop it. How arrogant of these people to act like we need to give the parents of, of children a right to be involved. Well, I mean, at least they're fighting for it, as far as I could see. Kevin McCabe is trans-slender. He identifies as slim and gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Um... She clearly has no idea what fascism is either. I mean, yeah, I mean, her sentence wasn't even grammatically correct. But, I mean, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Um, just just saying. Just saying. Lenin. Stalin. Lenin. It was Lenin, apparently. Give me a generation of youth and I will change the whole world. Give me one generation of youth, says Lenin. And Michael says KGB defector Yuri Bezmenov uh, laid it out in the 80s. The plan was to ideologically subvert America by taking over the education system and grooming the kids. And mission accomplished. And mission accomplished. Um, yeah. Um, what's Where's the fancy music? Well, I just said where the fancy music is. Um, yeah, Vladimir Lenin. Uh, has the Soviet national anthem been adopted by the Anchorage Assembly? No. Um, I appreciate that, Bill. Yeah, that was a that was a tough day. Thursday, we lost. Uh, uh, we had to put our wife's my wife's dog down after seventeen years. That was hard. That was a hard hard time. I needed to check out for the rest of the week after that. It was a difficult it was a difficult thing. Um <laughs> these morons can't even handle a checkbook and they think they can manage people's children? What? Just one more thing for the government to destroy. I'm with you, buddy. I am with you on that for sure. Again, this is the thing. I'm all for fighting the system. I just don't want my kids to be in the mess. It's like fighting. I watched uh I watched The Last of Us this weekend, and it's like, you know, you're fighting the zombies uh, or the flower people or whatever they are. And, you know, you could fight them. Just don't put your kids in the middle while you're shooting bullets downrange. 
and that's what we're doing right now. If you're leaving your kids in the system while you're fighting it, that's what's happening. All right, here we go. You're not going to hear much, but I am. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free-Thinking Radio. Here we go. Okay. We got uh, we got things to talk about, things to do, things to see. We were just talking about the vote in Washington D.C. by Mary Peltola to prevent parents from having a say in what's going on with their kids in the school system, and we're seeing this as a trend. By the way, I mean this has been a, and you're seeing the reaction across the country. I just talked about, you know, Virginia. Where uh, the race between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, uh, I mean, that was that was a big deal, right? I mean, that was an upset of national precedence. And I'll tell you right now that that whole thing hinged in the end on the fact that Terry McAuliffe spoke the quiet part out loud, which was basically, we want to take your children and teach them what we want to take what we want to teach them, and parents should have no say in what their children are being taught. Which has been the the whole thing for a long time. Uh, the quote, thank you, by the way, for Senator Rob Meyer, who who uh, corrected me on the quote. The quote was from um, was from uh, Lenin, not John Lennon, the other Lennon. Um, it said, uh, "Give me one generation of youth, and I will change the world." And we've given them multiple generations of youth. And then Mike uh, Mikhail says uh, over on YouTube, he points out that KGB defector Yuri Bezmenov laid it out in the 80s when he came over to the United States after defecting from the KGB. He said the plan was to ideologically subvert America by taking over the education system and grooming the kids. Mm. And whether that was PSYOP and not the truth or whether it is the truth, it sure appears it sure appears that that is the that that is the case right it it appears that that's what's going on and i was just saying look if you want to fight in the school systems uh to fix these kind of things i fully endorse that i do i'm not saying that you quit fighting it what i'm saying is you take your kids out of the line of fire um, I watched the show this weekend, the, the last of us, and I've been waiting for, I've been waiting to watch it until the, all the episodes, um, till all the episodes were out. And I finally watched it and I was thinking about it in a terms, well, I was thinking about many different things from that show, but I was just thinking about it in terms of what we're talking about right now. If you're going to fight over the education system. Um, and you're going to try and bring it back to where there is some parental control and some of this nuttiness about teaching kids, uh, you know, that pornography is good and all these other things that they, we've read out of these books that are coming right out of these books. Um, then my suggestion is you take the kids out of the line of fire as you fight the battle. 
You know, if you're shooting the zombies who are coming towards you, you don't put the kids between you and the zombies while you're shooting the zombie. This is from The Last of Us, what I'm thinking about from this weekend, right? You don't put the kids right in the line of fire as you're trying to do it. So <laughs> that is, um, yeah, uh, the, the whole thing is just so uh, frustrating and uh, it, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. So my suggestion, um, my suggestion is you pull your, because it's happening and it's, it's happening at every level. And I think you need to be very careful, very careful about where you're sending your kids or if you're sending your kids to, um, to the higher education, um, uh, you know, where you're sending them to higher education or if you are. State lawmakers on Friday signaled their opposition to the nomination of a leader of a conservative organization to serve on the University of Alaska Board of Regents. Bethany Markham, we've had her on this program. She's the executive director of the Alaska Policy Forum, which advocates for limiting government and reducing state spending, including on education. She was nominated to the board Earlier this year, her appointment is subject to confirmation by the entire legislature, which will vote on the governor's nominations later this year. The House and Senate Education Committees held hearings Friday to consider Markham's nomination, during which some lawmakers questioned whether Markham is an appropriate choice for the board that oversees the state's public universities. They cited the policy forms backing for proposed budget cuts made by Dunleavy in 2019 that included a 40 percent cut to state funding for the university system. Andy Story, the Democrat from Juneau, said to me the policy form has been very negative towards our education system. And by negative, what she means is they want to not fund it at the same level and they're looking for accountability. I guess that's negative. Um, she said, uh, Rebecca Hemshoot from Sitka said she would give a higher level of scrutiny to Markham's nomination because she doesn't have the progressive or liberal bona fides that, uh, you know. Lawmakers also raised concerns over Markham's actions on the state redistricting board, citing an illegal gerrymandering attempt a judge last year overturned a map redrawing East Anchorage districts. The judge redraws the map every time. A judge has gotten involved and overturned previous boards in the last six times. I mean, Almost every time there's a redistricting, a judge gets involved and overturns the map that was drawn by the thing. This is not anything, uh, but she's some kind of criminal. Um, him, him shoot said Markham's actions on the redistricting uh, board perhaps point to perhaps a lack of understanding or lack of respect for the Open Meetings Act, which is rich coming from a member of the legislature. Rich. Absolutely the height of hypocrisy coming from a member of the legislature. Um, Senator Loki Tobin said Markham's proposal during the redistricting process indicates that geographic representation and fair votes don't me seem to be something that Markham prioritizes. This is, this is all about the witch hunt of being on the redistricting board in the bottom line. I, I just I see that this is all this is about. Uh, responding to her criticisms uh, in support of Gunley, uh, Dunleavy's budget in 2019, the big cut year, 
Markham said it was incorrect that she championed the governor's cuts to the university system. After he faced backlash for his proposal, she was among those who publicly defended his plan to massively reduce state spending. But Markham said support for cutting state spending was not directed specifically at the university. But it should have been. I mean, right? We should have been. Um, Questions from lawmakers were echoed by several members of the public who asked the legislators during public testimony not to confirm Markham. Some of them wondered if Markham would have a conflict of interest given her leadership of the policy forum. Um, Of course, Joelle Hall, president of the AFL-CIO, got up and said her job is to advocate, and it may be for positions that are contrary to positions of the Board of Regents. I mean, unlike, I'm sure, the labor. I mean, that's Um, anyway, this is, uh, this is the, uh, this is the whole thing. Story, Andy Story, the Juno Democrat, this is all in the ADN, by the way, questioned Markham on Friday about the policy forms reports on Alaska's spending on K-12 schools that conflict with studies done by the University of Alaska Anchorage researchers and ICER. Uh, analysts affiliated with the form have repeatedly claimed that Alaska spends far above average on public education and that a large chunk of that money is spent on administrators. ICER studies have shown that when adjusted for cost of living, Alaska spends below average. Um, uh, I don't see the policy form taking that perspective as something that is accurate. As a board of regent, you need to trust your university and use some of those data sources. So use only the sources of data that match up with what we want, essentially, is what she's saying here. Uh, anyway, the, the, again, anybody could be there except for a conservative. Anybody can be in the university except for a conservative. We've seen this time and time and time again, this kind of witch hunt that goes on, uh, that they're stocking and, uh, you know, stuffing, they're stuffing their, uh, their side of the team only with people that agree with their ideology. Forget anybody who might bring in challenging ideas or a different point of view. And this is, of course, we've seen that in universities across the country, not just in boards of regents or anything else, but God forbid any any teacher or any uh, student or professor should come in there with an ideology or something that might challenge people's perceptions on things one way or the other, one way or the other, God forbid that should happen. They'll immediately be canceled. I mean, I could, I could show you a ream of stories uh, from reason and fire and, uh, Campus Collective and all these other different organizations that are following these news stories out there where anyone would dare to talk about something that that goes runs afoul of the status quo and how they were run out of town on a rail. And here's just another example of that. Here's Bethany Markham being run down because she deigns to belong to an organization that that law that is looking for smaller, more sustainable budgets looking for accountability, looking for any of those things. I mean, it's, again, I've got this, the horse is not dead yet. This is another reason why before I would send my kids to any of these institutions, I would be looking long and hard at how these institutions work and where they go and what they support and how they spend their money and and who they bring on their board, et cetera, et cetera. 
there's some private colleges out there that you might want to look into. I'm just I'm just saying there might be some private colleges that you may want to be looking into in the long run here as it goes forward. Also coming out of the legislature is a 40-page bill that was filed in the Senate designed to close a loophole that Hill Corp has been able to take advantage of due to its corporate structure. And it was filed by Senate rules. SB 0114 is an act establishing an income tax on certain entities producing or transporting oil and gas in the state relating to the oil and gas production tax uh, and has been referred to only to Senate finance, which means it's on the fast track. Uh, the bill says that any entity that has a qualified taxable income of over $4 million in a tax year shall pay 9.4% of the qualified taxable income over that $4 million. There are a number of provisions in the lengthy bill, but it's clear that the bill is targeting Hill Corp, which is an LLC and thus not covered by some of Alaska's oil tax structure. Um, I think this will be something that uh, this kind of evens the playing field for what we were talking about before. Uh, when Hill Corp uh, bought out BP, and uh, you could see, um, it's uh, it's it's. I think this is a good thing, uh, and I think Brad Keithley will admit that it's a good thing. This is what he's been he's been griping about for a while. This is one of the holes in the uh, in the legislative thing, and this is uh, this is something that needed to be fixed. Um, <clears throat> so there you go. Uh, oh, and yeah, Tom McKay was, thank you very much, Tom McKay was also speaking out on the Bethany Markham thing. I'm sorry, I mean, didn't mean to reel backwards here, but somebody just dropped me a tweet that got put out there. Tom McKay was defending Bethany Markham uh, during the whole discussion and said that she was uh, an extraordinarily qualified for the board. He said, diversity is a word that's thrown around a lot these days, but it seems to me that it's only acceptable to be, to be diverse if you agree with the establishment's options and uh, opinions. Uh, and then Andrew Halcrow, who, is he still even relevant anymore? Andrew Halcrow said, Dear Tom McKay, I'm going to make it my personal mission to ensure you never serve another term representing Sand Lake. You won by seven votes last election, and yet you still insist in being the league leader in ignorance and obnoxiousness. <sighs> Andrew Halcrow. Is it just like one of the most, I interviewed him one time, one of the most arrogant people I have ever, ever met, uh, virtually, because I don't think he wasn't, I came, I don't think he was in the studio, but just one of those things. This is one of, one of those things. Anyway, um, there you go. Uh, we're up against the break. We got to go. We're going to take a, we're going to take a quick one. And when we come back. We will continue. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more in just a moment. Don't forget, we've got uh, Sarah Montalbano from Alaska Policy Forum up next. Back right after this, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay. Out with the... 
Harold has been bitching about the whole uh, oil tax thing, and I say, well, yeah, I think we, uh, I think this is one that I can actually get behind, and that I know Brad will be pleased about because this is part of that five hundred million dollars that he knows is laying on the table. And Harold just goes on about propaganda again. Do you do you even listen to what you say? I'm just I'm asking for a friend. I'm just asking for a friend. Um. Uh, okay. Representative Carpenter. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm reading this for the first time along with you. Representative Carpenter is presenting two bills at Ways and Means this evening, HB 109 and HB 110. 109 closes the so-called loophole by lowering corporate taxes for all companies. H110 takes the annual dividend out of the Department of Revenue and Appropriations and Processes and says the paid shall pay the dividend. I am all about that. I am all about that. Donna also said earlier, and I didn't get a chance to get around to it, uh, the ICER study is based on made-up data. That pretty much sums, that pretty much sums it up. Sums it up right there. Made-up data. Hal Crow was another uh, was another one like Walker who wanted to open up the permanent fund to finance a pipeline, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I he was part of that whole brigade. Um. Yeah. It's, uh, let's talk about where to send our kids to school while not being able to figure out how to turn on the music. This is Harold this morning. Okay. Let's talk about how to send your kids to school uh, while not being able to turn figure out how to turn on the music. Hey, you know what? I got it on the radio. That's all I care about right now. I'm not going to stress about things that, uh, you know, are out of my control right now, Harold. Uh, you, you just, you keep being you, man. You just keep being you. Uh, it's just, like that hurts my feelings or something because I can't figure out how to turn the music on. No, I just haven't taken the time to do it because I don't care that much. I got other things to worry about. You guys will be fine without music. Radio's got music. You guys don't. Sorry. It'll it'll be fine for this one day. By tomorrow, guess what? There'll be music again. <laughs> could you imagine living with that? Yeah, Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer. You're right. I mean, could you could you imagine living with that 24-7? Um let's see, what else? Uh, step away from the Folgers. Kevin said, I checked on the cost of the chef in the Capitol building based on some misinformation transmitted here last week. What I found is the chef is a 21J, $1,812 biweekly. Her total cost, including benefits, is estimated to be around 30000 for a session. She's only there for the, for the session. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. What do you expect from a low-budget radio show? I mean, what do you expect? Uh, your dog doesn't miss the bell. So so you guys aren't even hearing the bell. I'm only hearing the bell. Well, then there you go. See how that works? It's fine. It's fine, fine, just fine. Um... I'm just looking at something right now. Now that you said you can't hear the bell, 
See, that's uh, that's that's a doubling of me. That's doubling, and that's doubling. Ooh, that's spooky. I like that. All right, we'll go back over here. Sorry, I was just just testing something. I was like that. That's weird. Because if you didn't even hear the bell, that means something totally different. Um, okay. Um, oh, you know what we need? I know it would probably fix this. Uh, it would be a right here, and it would be right here, and it would be right there, and it would be right there. And how about right there? Now, I need to unhide everything. And... Let's see. Uh, is that the one that I want? That's the one that I want right there. Let's see if you guys can hear this. Whoa. Let's see. There you go. You guys hear that? Nope. You can't hear it. Oh, who knows? It'll be a full reboot. I'll have to, I'm going to have to remap all this stuff. Apparently they got mixed up. So that's okay. Bell rang. It's time to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty-based. Free-thinking radio. Here we go. Well, okay, how are you? Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the program. Hour two continues. Oh, we've got, we've got fun stuff to talk about here next. Um, All right, let's, uh, let's continue on here. And uh, see, I guess, I guess I want to talk a little bit about, mm, I guess I want to talk a little bit about Life lessons. Life lessons. I was, um, I, I mentioned a couple times this morning that uh, my wife and I finally got around to watching The Last of Us this weekend. And I got to say, it, um, uh, it made me think it made me think a lot it made me think a lot about um perceiving what's going on around you again trying to read between the lines of uh you know what's happening out there and it made me it made me think it made me it made me think about what i'm perceiving as Things going well, things going not well. And what it reminded me of was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, I guess from the old, uh, <clears throat> the old, it's the same thing with The Walking Dead, right? I'm watching The Walking Dead. It's the same kind of thing where you see the lines and lines and lines of cars trying to leave town and, and everything else. And I'm thinking by the time you've reached that point, it's already too late. 
right? If you're stuck in the traffic jam trying to leave the big city or wherever, it's already been too late. You missed all the warning signs. And I'm trying to look at that. And, and that's why I'm talking about the schools. Uh, not, not that the schools are the zombie apocalypse. But again, it's, it's how my mind works. It triggers certain things and I start to think about it. If you don't know that it's time to <clears> – <throat> if you don't know that it's time to evacuate – uh, you know, from a certain area, uh, by the time you go along with everybody else and everybody's figured it out, it's too late, right? If you don't leave early enough, if you don't see the warning signs, if you don't, uh, if you don't pick up and leave and take off early, uh, if you don't, if you haven't prepared to take off early and or leave and have a full tank of gas and some supplies or something like that, then you're going to be stuck out on the highway with everybody else trying to leave town. Because it's too late. It, it's too late. You've seen this imagery time and time and time again in all every disaster or monster or zombie movie that you've ever seen. Right? It's always the same. Everybody's caught out on the road on the way out. Because they didn't see the signs. Now, a few people saw the signs and they pulled out and they left early. May not have been convenient for them. May not have been... Um, the most cost-effective thing may have cost them some money or some time or something else. And who knows, if the disaster hadn't happened, maybe they would have fought, fought, uh, felt foolish. But in the long run, they were the ones that get out. Because if you wait until all the cars are bumper-to-bumper bumper on the one exit leaving town, here in, you know, here in Alaska, it'd be everybody leaving Anchorage in bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic— if you are the one guy that uh, if, if you wait for everybody else, you're not going to make it. And that's what I was really thinking about with this education thing. Because, again, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be understanding of people who say they just can't do it. They just can't, you know, single income or something else or whatever's going on. And I understand that. But there are other options, whether that's, you know, alternatives, co-ops, learning pods, uh, teacher pools. I mean, there's all different kinds of things you can do. And getting out early is the way to – getting out early is the way to do it because you do not want to be stuck when there has to be some kind of mass exodus, even if a mass exodus is possible. I mean, one day they could just say you can't take your kids out of school anymore. Then what are you going to do? I mean, right, they had the truancy officer before, and now we've got options, but what if they defund those options and all this other kind of stuff? But again, if you're going to fight the war over this kind of stuff, if you're going to fight the war, don't you want to take your kids out of the line of fire? I mean, I was just, it, sometimes the things that run through my head are just, I know, they're just crazy. Just, just crazy. So anyway, um, that's what that's what I've been thinking about. That, that actually that movie actually brought me or that show actually brought me a lot of interesting thoughts and conundrums. It's a very good show. Um, if you enjoy kind of thought provoking dystopian end of the world kind of stuff, man, eh, it's a good show. <laughs> if you're like, I just lived through the pandemic and I don't want. OK. OK, we got you. We got you. You don't have to watch that one. 
You don't have to watch that one as well. Uh, anyway, so I guess that's my final thoughts for today on uh, my final thoughts for today on this education thing is that I would employ you. This system is so top heavy and so fundamentally broken at this point. I don't know how we get back to it. And if you even suggest that any changes are made, I'm not talking about saying we should just shut the schools down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying any changes at all. How dare you point out in this in this story in the ADN, how dare you point out that the administrative costs are you know, well over, I mean, how dare you point that out? Right? Um, <laughs> that Alaska spends above average and that a large chunk of that money is spent on administrators. Even if Alaska doesn't spend above average, all you have to do is look at the, at the disparity between administrators and teachers positions, Right? This is the, the again, the, here's from the story. Andy's story, this is from the ADN. Andy's story, question Markham about the policy forums reports on Alaska spending in K-12 and how it conflicts with UAA and ICER. Analysts affiliated with the policy forum repeatedly claimed that Alaska spends far above average on public education and that a large chunk of that money is spent on administrators. ICER studies have shown that when adjusted for cost of living, Alaska spends below average. But no no claim about whether or not the largest chunk is spent on administrators. That's the thing. If you start taking cracks at things like that, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't shoot the, don't shoot the, you know. Why? Why Why even at this point, I would, I'm not having my kids in a situation like that. Not having my kids in the line of fire while we're discussing that. It, it just makes no sense. We'll put them in the spin cycle while we battle it out over whether or not it should be a long or a short spin cycle. Just take them out. Take them out. Find the resources that you need to do. You could be a great teacher for your kid. You could, you could be a great teacher for your child. That is 100% true right now. Okay, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return in Hour 2 with Sarah Montalbano right after this. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. You guys. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Sarah's coming to talk about schools. You aren't done. I know you don't, well, you know enough. This is not you last word. I know, you know what I meant. <laughs> oh, gosh.
Yeah, ICER is a division of UAA, right? I mean, yeah. No conflict of interest there. No no conflict of interest there. Um, All right. I'm going through the whole thing here. See what else uh, you guys have been saying. Uh, Okay. There we go. Uh, Sarah Montalbano is in the green room. Now I'm just hopeful that you guys will be able to hear her. I'm pretty sure I'll be able to hear her, but I I want to make sure you guys can hear her. So be sure that you sound off here. We're going to check in with her here in a hot second. Be sure you sound off and let me know if you can hear her, because it's going to be really disappointing if for some reason you can't. I'll be, I'll be bummed about that. I'm going to have to figure something out. Luckily, I am recording it on one end with StreamYard, so we'll see what happens from there. All right, let's uh, go over there right now, and we will add her onto the stream and see what she has to say. Hello, Sarah. How are you, my dear? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm not doing You're audible. You're audible (laughs) to me. Um, I'm going to mute myself, and uh, actually, I'm going to turn the music off. Uh, all right. Well, I see Sarah's not showing up on my recording, so I'm hoping that she's coming out to you guys. Um, if not, oh, Jeffrey just gave me the thumbs up so they can hear you, which is good, good. which is good, which means the recording on <clears throat> the StreamYard is hearing you, so I don't have to worry <laughs> about recording the rest of it. Okay, good, good. So how's it feel to be the subject of a legislative confirmation? How dare you suggest that Alaska spends more than almost anywhere else and spends it all on administrators, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the basic premise here. There's a lot that goes into this. This presentation we gave was enormous. Yeah. Uh, tried to cover the entirety of Alaska's education landscape. Yeah, I just found it interesting that Bethany Markham is up there uh, getting her getting her uh uh anyway hold on a second i'm gonna put you guys on hold for just a second because i've got the station from homer calling me be right back okay long-winded here we go um sarah can you hear the music i cannot hear the music you know it's a universal (laughs) truth it's a universal truth that on Monday, when things will go wrong, everything will go wrong. But that's fine. <laughs> uh, I can hear you, and uh, and that's that makes me happy. I can hear you, and we can talk about. It. Anyway, I just thought it was funny that it was the, uh, you know, that they we come to the uh, Alaska Policy Forum confirmation, or or for Bethany Markham from um, uh, APF coming in for the uh, uh, Regents thing, and they immediately bring up, you know. Some of the educational analysts disagree with, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, man, I've seen studies disagree all the time. This is nothing new. It all depends (laughs) on what data you're looking at and how you, you know, and how you extrapolate the data. And uh, by the way, it was ICER who was talking about funding for UAA. It's Mm -hmm. a university organization. I mean, no bias here. No confirmation (laughs) bias here, right? Exactly. The phrase conflict of interest comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, that's what we call outcome-based uh, outcome based stuff. Uh, ICER has done some good stuff in the past. There's no doubt Definitely. about it. But, oh, but, yeah. I, but I look at it I and go, mm, yeah, I don't know what's going on. 
Um, all right. So we're going to talk about Sarah's presentation in front of the legislature, Ways and Means Committee, right? Um, yep. And um, what and education. That all, and education and what no, that all entailed and what it means. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to do that here right now. Again, it's weird for you guys because you can't hear anything, but uh, I can hear it. So that's all that matters. That's all fine. <laughs> we're going to jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Here we go. We're going to do this right now. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska, this is your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting, oh, each and every morning right here, Monday through Friday, trying to bring you the best in Alaskan stories and news and politics and discussion and so much more. Uh, it is hour two. We just finished up our own personal discussion on education and problems in the state of Alaska. Now let's bring on the expert, the expert analyst for the Alaska Policy Forum. She is their educational analyst and specialist. It is Sarah Montalbano. We bring her on board this morning to discuss all this uh, and more, including her recent presentation in front of both House Ways and Means and Education on uh, what's happening in the state of Alaskan schools, and we welcome her to the program this morning. Hello, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? You know, no complaints. No, it's Monday, but I mean, no complaints. It's all good. <laughs> uh, so, Sarah, I know that I got some rave reviews. Uh, I know that um, I got some uh, slides that you use and everything else. So you can share your screen today if you need to or want to. Uh, in any of the talks or discussions or what's going on. But you sat down in front of House Ways and Means and uh, House Education, and you laid some things out today. So can you first give us some background and tell us what, you know, what you were tasked with bringing as a topic? And then can you give us, uh, you know, a recap of what uh, what happened in light of what's going on in Alaska education? And again, I saw, I, I, you may, I don't know if you want to bring in, I saw the report that uh, Must Read re uh, reported about yesterday, uh, about the teachers outnumbering the staff. You and I have talked about that a couple times. I don't know if that's some old news or new news or what, but uh, give us some background here on what you brought before the legislature and, uh, you know, kind of give us our own little private recap here on this. Yeah, this is a huge topic. Uh, and we were tasked with a large topic. We were asked to talk about outcomes, um, what those have looked like historically for Alaska. Uh, we were asked to discuss the funding formula in particular, as well as the general state of spending, because we all know that um, the, the state's allocation for funding is not the end of the story, uh, far from it. And we were also asked to talk about school choice and both its academic benefits, as well as um, the fiscal effects on states, which are generally positive. 
Well, and I think that's, you know, that is a that is a big task. I could see this being a monumental task of trying to go over all this. It was a large presentation. So, so how did you guys break this down? Give us give us kind of the rundown of what how you went through it and uh again, give us the give us our own private show here. Yeah, we began with uh discussing Alaska's outcomes and um the good thing is that we've seen some ranking improvements on the 2022 National Assessment of Educational Progress. Um we haven't changed scores. We haven't improved our actual um, scores on on most of these subjects, but we have uh, increased our state rankings slightly. Um, you know, we looked a lot at in this presentation at the examples of Florida and Mississippi because they did particularly well uh, promoting early literacy, as well as um, you know. Th- these states are pretty big on school choice, especially Florida. Um, these states have implemented some interesting uh, incentives for other outcomes like AP classes. Uh, so we discussed that with the legislator, legislature too. I, and I, okay, so you, you're teasing me with all the stuff that we're talking about wow. here. So, so break it down. All right. So, yeah. uh, and this was in front of both committees. I mean, were, were you tasked with this? Did you give the same presentation for both committees or were they broken out into two different, uh, two different uh, uh, topics or presentations? It was a joint committee hearing. So this was in front of the whole group, uh, both of them uh, at the at same once. time. At once. Yeah, okay. At all once. right. Um, well, Walk us through it. I mean, we we got absolutely you know, we, we, we got, got 40, time. <laughs> forty eight minutes. Let's uh, let's break it down. Start off with uh, let's start at the beginning and go from there. Absolutely. Um, so as I said, we have these better trends, um, especially for uh, children who are in the free and reduced lunch program. There's a lot of issues with this metric, but it's generally a good sense of uh, st- students that are facing some sort of economic disadvantage. Um, and so, you know, on the 2022 NAEP, uh, free and reduced lunch fourth grade math scores increased from 50th nationwide to 48th. Those are good things. These are, you know, ranking improvements. It could be just that other states declined a lot over the pandemic. Um, but the fact that we were able to stay pretty steady um, is a good thing. And then we discussed, um, you know, these states that have made early literacy improvements, but also long-term improvements in their eighth grade math um, and, you know, uh, reading scores, as well as AP courses. Um, So one of the interesting things about Florida is that they offer an incentive for teachers and students to uh, score a three or higher on the AP exam. So that's a passing score. Um, And, you know, the fact is, in 2020, Florida had 34% of their high school graduates uh, passed with one AP test, at, with a three or higher at least, and that metric is only fourteen percent in Anchorage. So we can look. The overarching message of the presentation is that we can look at these incentives and figure out better ways to do things, and we have the examples of other states to look at. And as we look at this, I mean, the the problem is, is that. We seem to continue to have this attitude of, well, we're Alaska. We don't do it like anybody else. We need to do our own thing. The problem is other people have already broken the trail and they've, you know, they've they've made the path easier. We just need to be able to look at it and follow those those steps. Right. And we have been up until this point, just not not interested in doing that, not interested in making those uh, making some of those changes. And that's why we've remained 
48th, 49th in all these educational scores. Absolutely. We're unique, but we are not so unique that we cannot learn and take the best pieces from states that have done these things well. Florida is a leader for so many states nationwide. I mean, they're doing some really incredible things to ensure that their kids are getting the education they need. Um, so that was a large part of the presentation is saying, look, Florida has done it. I don't see why Alaska can't. And of course, uh, I mean, the reaction was probably a lot of eye rolling and, and everything else. What specifically should we be modeling, you know, Florida, Mississippi? What are some of the things, in your opinion, that we should be taking up with that? I mean, what, what are some of the things that you think right off the top of the pile we could adopt, we could adopt easily and see a change? One of the interesting things Florida does is this incentive program for AP classes and things like that. Um, their early literacy uh, reforms, the Alaska Reads Act passed last year, is actually a pretty good uh, mimic of these programs. Uh, and we'll hopefully, we'll see some improvements in fourth grade reading proficiency from that. Um, Another state that does their school funding formula pretty well, and I can give a recap of the formula if we'd like. I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we could do that. Absolutely. Um, so the way our funding formula works right now, um, I'm going to toggle to the slide uh, because this is this is a particularly complicated subject. Um, so the base student allocation is this $5,960 um, that every student is supposed to get. Um, and then we have average daily membership. That's our enrollment average. Um, that's counted through 20 days in October of each year. Um, and then average daily membership is adjusted for all sorts of things like school size and district cost, uh, special needs multipliers, career and technical education, uh, intensive needs, and then correspondence students uh, are multiplied by 90% and then added in back at the end. Um, and so the basic formula is that you multiply the BSA by this adjusted average daily membership and you get basic need. Uh, and basic need is paid uh, first in part by local contributions for those districts that have, um, are in an organized borough or municipality um, and federal impact aid. And then the rest is paid by the state. So that's the general scope of the funding formula. One thing that a state does that I find very interesting uh, is Tennessee. And what Tennessee has done, they just uh, revamped their school funding formula. And their districts are actually receiving an outcomes-based component. And so they get their BSA, they get their weights, they get um, some very interesting things. But then they will get per student bonuses based on things like third grade English language arts scores, uh, fourth grade growth uh, in Eli scores. Um, eighth grade math scores. For high school students, they're looking at ACT scores and improvements from those tests. Um, and high schoolers that are graduating with industry credentials that matter to employers. Um, and so that's one of the things I think we could do better is incentivizing the outcomes we want to see in the formula because we need to reward the schools that are getting results and incentivize the behaviors we want to see. Well, and, and I agree with that. I mean, I think that that is, you know, performance metrics are important, right? I mean, we have to look at these things and understand 
uh, you know, if we're producing a product, we need to have a good product at the end. Any any company or factory that creates something, if they create a substandard product, they can't come back and go, well, we need more money. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can do and that's what we do is, but we need to be paid more. We need more for this or more for that uh, without some kind of metrics. Uh, and there was a whole discussion on the BSA uh, that went through. There are some crazy um, there are some crazy things that have changed in, uh, or that are, I guess, misunderstood in the BSA. One of the uh, talking points, and I was just looking for the story real quick because I, mm-hmm. I can't find it, but they talk about one of the things in the BSA is they count, you know, the, the, they count some schools, like for example, the Anchorage school district, they count the school district, even though it only has 40,000 students, it counts the school district, like there's 77,000 students in there. Yeah. And you're just like, wait a second, we're still not performing at, you know, we're well below the national average where again, we're, we're still super low on all these things. And yet there's no, uh, there's no metric to hold them accountable for the product that they're delivering. And at the same time, they're getting almost twice the money that you would logically think. I mean, the, the formula is very complex, right? I mean, mm-hmm. talk about that for just a second. How <laughs> fact that some of these places get, you know, they get almost double the amount of money for the number of students that they actually have. Yeah, this is a huge part of the funding formula, because if you assume that the space student allocation of 5,960, that's what a student's getting, you are missing out on all of these adjustment factors that are uh, adjust the average daily membership. So you've got your enrollment count, and then you apply a school size multiplier. Um, The school size multiplier, I think, is too complicated for what it needs to be. Um, There's a whole tier system, and I've written it down on my slides because I just, this is so hard to just hold in your head. Um, But, you know, schools under 20 students uh, get a multiplier of 39.6 per student. So multiply that BSA by 39.6. Um, and then, you know, schools with 750 students or more are being actually penalized. So once you surpass about 250 students, you start receiving less as a district for the actual number of students that are enrolled. Um, so that's one component of this that I think incentivizes keeping schools under that 250 student mark uh, because you want to maximize um, the number Uh, the funding you get for these students. And the median school size in Alaska is actually 177 students, uh, which is well below that. And you get 8% more uh, for your BSA. So that's complicated. um, And and I think that definitely has some incentives there. Um, And then, you know, the next thing is the district cost factor. That's normalized to Anchorage's cost of living. Uh, And then all these different districts have different cost multipliers for their cost of living. And then one of the big ones um, is the special education multiplier. That is applied uh, at a flat 0.2. So you get 20% more than your average daily membership for this general special needs. Um, And then there are intensive special needs students. So if a particular student is identified with intensive special needs, they get a multiplier of 13 to their BSA. Um, And that doesn't necessarily have to go directly to that student. 
pardon me, it's fungible. It goes into the district's pot and the district decides how they're going to spend it. It's a funding formula. It's not a right. spending formula. Um, right. But that is certainly uh, a contributor. And then there is the, um, there's a very small multiplier for career and technical education. That's, you know, one and a half percent, I think, um, upward. And then correspondence students are actually given kind of the short end of the stick in this formula because their membership, their enrollment is subtracted out at the front of the formula and then multiplied by 0 0.9. And then they are uh, just, just added in at the end. So, you know, the funding for correspondence students is 90% of what traditional public school students get. Right. Well, this is, again, <laughs> this, I mean, we could have a full hour simply on the intricacies, uh, intricacies yeah. and the ins and outs of the BSA alone. Pretty the, good summary. Yeah, yeah right here, exactly. But... <laughs> what goes on there. Uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest. We're up against the break. We're going to uh, continue here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more here in just a moment. Sarah Montalbano is our guest. Back with more right after this. Okay, now we're in the break. Sarah's coming down with something. Honey and that. honey and lemon. That's all I could say. Honey and lemon. Yes. It, it, <laughs> works, it works wonders. It works wonders. Sarah, um... <clears throat> This is a lot to choke down. I mean, this, it, this, it really is. Um, I learned I, so much putting this together. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> I, I really wish that I could find uh, the, I, I wish, maybe I saved it. I don't have it right here in front of me. But the story that that did take a little bit of a crack at breaking that down and taking a look at it. Um, the number of, of students, the, num the amount of funding. Um, Rob Myers in the chat room says the school size multiplier gives districts more money for smaller, less efficient schools and penalizes districts for closing buildings they don't need. Um, and that may be the case. But it, then again, when I look at Anchorage and they've got 43 or 44,000 students and they're getting 77,000 students worth of money. I mean, that doesn't necessarily look like they're penalizing them too much at that point, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and especially analyzing when homeschooling, you know, gets only 90% of the pot uh, as far as that goes as well. It's uh, it's really it's really frustrating to watch this whole thing because the average person, I mean, up until 18 months ago, I didn't understand the little. I mean, to me, the base student allocation was you give this much per student at the attendance rate. Right. That's what I thought. I didn't realize that it had all these different multipliers and factors and levers and everything else. And, and all of a sudden you realize, my God, this is, I mean, it is so complex. And when, so when the average person reads the newspaper and says, well, yes, we should help our kids. It's only a thousand dollars more per kid, but you realize that districts are getting two, three, four, five times the number of students they actually have in the classroom. That's when it really turns into some real money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I think it's important to remember, too, that the the funding formula isn't all the funding we get. I have a slide in this presentation where I list off so many of the other things that contribute to the form on top of the formula. You've got your one time grants, you've got federal grants. And one of the biggest ones in history was this COVID relief money that districts are still working their way through. 
Um, and just, I, we can talk more about that, but it's just these adjustment factors and all of this stuff on top of the formula means this is not a simple problem. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a simple problem at all. It's a, it's a very complex problem. And in some ways, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cynical, but in some ways I believe that's by design. It kind of obfuscates everything. And so you can't really tell how much has been spent where, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes a real, I mean, it becomes a real problem in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's so important to keep the focus on this once the Fuhrer dies down, uh, because I think so many people are coming into this the first time saying, yeah, increase this. This is, you know, this is money that's directly helping the kids. It's only a thousand dollars and that thousand dollars follows the student. That's not how it's working. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, no, and that and that's the thing. They they think, oh, it's only it's only a thousand dollars per student. But again, it's not. Uh, I mean, if it's a thousand dollars per student for forty four thousand students, or it's a thousand dollars per students for seventy seven thousand students, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that becomes the big sticking point in the long run. And uh, and you know, where do we go from here? How do we fix that? That's the thing. I mean, do we simplify the formula? Uh, do we open it up and start talking about it? Because I, I guarantee you at this rate, nobody on the other side who is pro increase the funding wants to open that formula up at all because they're kind of happy with just the way it is right now. Mm-hmm. There are definitely opportunities to simplify the formula that I can get into uh, because our presentation discussed just some recommendations regardless of you know feasibility, political yeah, <laughs> uh, viability, right. uh, things like that. Just like looking at this and saying, hey, here are the technical issues that other states have worked to simplify uh, from formulas that looked a lot more like Alaska's uh, that they've changed up. All right. We are um, we are up to the uh, return here. We're returning here in just a second. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share, like it, follow. Here we go. Yep. The Michael Duke Show continues. Our guest is Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. We're going to jump in with her and continue our conversations. Um, you know, the, the I was just saying during the break, uh, you know, that I don't think that the... Uh, I don't think that the funding formula, the way it is right now, being uber complex and over complicated, I don't think that that's a bug. I think that's a feature, right? <laughs> I think in some ways it's working as intended because it makes it so complicated that people don't really understand what uh, is happening inside that BSA. So when they read the newspaper and this says it's only a thousand dollar increase per student, they go, well, that's, you know, cost of living and things in 10 years and yada, yada. Okay, I can see that. Not realizing again, just to, I don't mean to beat up on Anchorage, but that's the one number that keeps I can't I couldn't find the article here during the break uh, that where they said there was 44,000 students, but they were being paid as if there were 77,000 students. Uh, I mean, <clears> thousand <throat> bucks a student. Now you're talking real money when you're talking about going over and above that. Uh, it's millions of dollars. And so my question was to Sarah you know, do we simplify the BSA? Do we make it a simple one-to-one? Do we make it simpler and better instead of having all these different carve-outs and everything else? What, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you say to that? Do you have, are, are there some solutions to what we can do for the BSA 
to try and uh, simplify this and make it easier for people to understand and for it to uh, fund the state's uh, educational system? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, the school funding formula should be transparent enough um, that families and the general public can easily understand it. Um, we came up with some recommendations for the legislature, and I will hit some of the highlights here. Um, one of them is that uh, bond debt reimbursement uh, tends to incentivize, um, you know, having excess facilities face facilities space um, compared with deed standards, uh, things like that. And so if you're able to restrict uh, bond debt reimbursement or allow it um, for rapidly growing districts that need this extra space, that's a great idea. Uh, but we want right-sized facilities uh, and to reduce some of this bureaucratic um, influence because I, I can talk about that as well. Um, <clears throat> the whole harmless provision is an interesting thing. And I had to do some digging back into uh, the history of Alaska's school funding formula. And the hold harmless provision is basically that um, districts won't be penalized for a drop over a certain percentage in their average daily membership after the adjustment for school size. Um, and so in 2001 or so, um, the hold harmless provision had 10%. So schools that dropped 10% or more, uh, their funding was staggered over a couple of years to, right. to in that decline. To deal um, with it, right. Exactly. And the hold harmless was reinstated in 2008. Uh, and that has a more generous enrollment threshold now. Uh, it's 5%. Um, so, you know, schools and districts should be incentivized to keep their students um, through good or improving outcomes. I think it's uh, definitely important to have that incentive there. <clears throat> And then, as I mentioned, I think one of the biggest things that would make a difference as is incentivizing outcomes in the formula. And I talked about Tennessee in our previous segment. Um, they talk about uh, scores and growth uh, per, with per student bonuses um, for schools on these things. Uh, one of the things Florida does is their AP uh, class uh, bonuses. So they've got right. um, a direct to teacher bonus, but the districts also get you know an increase to their average daily membership uh, base funding as well. Uh, and that seems to be helping them. They, you know, had the second highest rate of AP exam passing, um, and they're still among the lowest per student. <clears throat> All right. I think that's, you know, the first bracket of things. Right. Uh, we can talk more in depth about, uh, correspondence students, um, and some of the other weights, the intensive needs weighting, school size multiplier, average daily membership, things like that. Well, and I think, again, that's where we need to move on here to now. Uh, so the second part of your presentation, after going through the BSA and everything else, taking a look at all these different factors, what was, uh, you know, what was your analysis of the outcomes of, because this was about outcomes, right, in the long run. So what was your analysis of the outcomes uh, based on what we have done thus far, and then we'll save the last segment for changes that should be made overall to fix the overall outcomes in the long run. So give me the current outcomes and what it looks like here in the state. Yeah, so Alaska is spending $18,313 uh, per student as of 2020. That includes all sources of funding. That average is varies wildly between districts. I think the Aleutian Region School District is the highest of that of the 2018-2019 school year, and they're spending 104000 
dollars per student. Um, and then there's districts like Galena City that their enrollment is mostly correspondence students. Uh, and so they're spending about $7,000 per student. Um, and Anchorage is about $16,500 um, for uh, all sources of funding. So that's that's the basic scope of things. And then when we look at our outcomes, we have not improved our outcomes. And one of the graphs I showed, uh, and your radio listeners will probably miss out on this, but I would like to show it here if I'm able to. <clears throat> While Sarah's bringing that up, I remembered now where the story was, and I'll bring it up. It was from the uh, Alaska landmine. He actually did... Uh, Again, uh, credit where credit's due. He actually did a fantastic article on discussion of the BSA to begin with. So we'll get back to that. Go ahead, Sarah. All right. Let's see if this will go. I've got my chart pulled up here. Okay. Yeah, here we go. There you go. Um, and so a lot of the discussion seems to be centering around this increase for inflation. And I thought it would be important to look at this baseline from 2002 instead of um, looking once these school funding formula changes were made. Um, and so, you know, looking at that 2002 baseline, we've got about 12,000-ish dollars in funding um, per student in average daily attendance. So this is actually data from the National Education Association. The research division does a really good job of tracking these things. Uh, and I just adjusted upward each year for um, the urban Alaska CPI. Um, and so what I want to call attention to is that these formula changes uh, in the 2008-2009 area uh, led to a huge jump in per student funding, almost $5,000. Um, and that was, you know, stuff like increasing the intensive needs waiting, uh, hold harmless, uh, things like that, that jumped up this per people spending. And then, you know, in 2021, we're still 22% higher than what we would have been for inflation adjusted upward from 2002. The most interesting part is this uh, line that's moving across the chart, uh, and that's fourth grade NAEP scores and reading. And that's declined eight points. That's almost a full year of attainment since 2003 when we started uh, working into the, um, into the NAEP assessment. So our outcomes have declined over this time. We've infused, uh, we have infused schools and districts with large amounts of money before, uh, and that has not improved outcomes. And so that's one of the basic messages of the presentation is, look, we've done this before. <laughs> right. We've been there, done that. We've thrown more money at it. We've seen it go down as we go through. So the outcomes are not necessarily what... Um, you know, what we want them to be, obviously. And this is, uh, you also had another chart I know that was kind of like a shotgun chart that showed that it wasn't necessarily listed to a certain socioeconomic background or region or anything mm -hmm. else. It was kind of a little bit of everywhere. Some places were doing better than others, uh, but it didn't necessarily have to do with the amount of money that was being poured into those districts. Absolutely. There are some districts that have, you know, the characteristics that are making them do well. Um, and one of the slides that a, legislators really wanted to ask me a lot of questions about um, shows this plot of schools and their per student funding. And then their scores on the AK star are on the left, the 
vertical axis. And all of the schools that are clustered in this low cost, above average outcomes are correspondence schools or charter schools. Um, and so that was um, definitely one of the takeaways I wanted to see is like, look, this school choice that we do have, these charter schools and correspondence schools really seem to be improving students' outcomes and they're managing to do it in a very fiscally responsible way. Which is what we, of course, as homeschoolers have argued for many years that we basically that the most efficient use of the school dollars was in the homeschooling correspondence type environment. Because again, we didn't have the brick and mortar overhead. You had one teacher that dealt with a lot more students, but on a one-to-one -one basis versus in a classroom and everything else. And it was, you know, overall, it is a, uh, <clears throat> it is a great, uh, it is a great example of what can be done with less, how less can actually be more in the long run. Uh, unfortunately, they don't want to hear that. This is why there's the argument that we've seen, and you've talked about, again, Florida and Mississippi. I know that Arizona's now got their education fund and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why something like backpack funding could be so important for this kind of situation, right? Absolutely. Florida, I don't know if you've heard, we're very excited. Um, they've passed their universal school choice, this education savings accounts kind of idea where the funding can follow the student. Um, and a lot of these funding, I think Arizona awards for their ESAs range between about $4,000 and $9,000, depending on the you know characteristics, the grade of the child. Do they have special needs? Um, those can go higher for that. And they're reaping you know fiscal benefits too, just on a per student basis. Like we're looking at, I had a slide here, um, you know, and that's ninety percent of their base funding for. Um, students. And so, you know, the state's getting to keep 10%. Um, and just from letting the parents make these choices about what works best for their child and how to customize the education. And uh, one study I pulled up for this uh, is that it was done by EdChoice, um, and they estimate there's per student savings uh, between $3,300 and $7,500 uh, generated through fiscal year 2018 uh, for state and local taxpayers. And that equates to, you know, up to $28 billion. Um, so this is not something to sneeze at. This is good, obviously, academically for a lot of students, uh, but it's also very good for state budgets as well. Sarah Montabano is our guest. We're coming up on the break. We got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. We will continue in just a moment. We will uh, come back and maybe she can offer us some of the solutions that she sees. Uh, and we will have that discussion in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more after this. Okay, in the break with Sarah Montalbano. Give her a chance to drink some tea, honey, water, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. <laughs> A vodka. We oh. recommend vodka on for on Mondays. It's uh, yeah, Monday morning might be a little too <laughs> little too oh, soon on. for me. It's five, it's five p.m. somewhere. A little, little <laughs> bit of little bit of brandy. Little bit of brandy will get you going on through there. Um, yeah, that that shotgun chart, which I have a copy of, and I don't know what I I should have brought it up, but the shotgun chart really I think shows. Um, in a snapshot, it really shows everything at once that you could see that it doesn't have to be a high dollar, 
high budget, the best school out there. Uh, it is, you know, it, it is more along the lines of focusing on the student rather than on the building, the infrastructure, the administration and everything else. That's, I think, really been part of the problem here in the growth of this. Yeah, one of the data points I brought up, because I think it is important, even though it is not an Alaska specific problem, is this administration growth that we've discussed before. And I looked at <clears throat> district administrator growth, and they grew almost 18% since 2008, uh, 20, 2008 to 2019. Um, and the number of teachers declined almost 6% over that period. Um, and so I think it's just you know, this growing compliance cost is not helpful for schools and districts actually achieving their mission of having kids give them the basic skills they need. Well, I guess <clears throat> you got to ask, is that really the mission? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that is the really? mission, I hopefully mean, it, it is. Um, I mean, you would hope that that would be the mission, but it seems like more and more, the more we look at it, the more things, you know, uh, it would seem that the mission is more justification and expansion. That seems mm -hmm. to be the mission in a lot of ways. When it, well, I mean, that that's the very nature of government. It doesn't make it evil or anything else. It's just the nature of government that that seems to be that expansion, justification and expansion seems to be the the overall uh, factor in government. And, and schools are no different in that case. Mm -hmm. It's the curse of bureaucracy that we see. Well, if I don't spend my budget, then I'm going to have a cut next year. So I've got to spend it all. <laughs> got to justify what I'm doing. Yeah. So I need yeah, to Yeah, that is money. not a school specific conclusion. Yeah. That is no. every, every agency. <laughs> yeah, every. I got my first education in that when I was about 20, 22 years old, 21, 22 years old. Went to the DOT and I was running a parts warehouse at the time for automotive and truck parts. And I remember the guy brought me into the back room and he said, get out your pad. I need three of these and 10 of these and five of these. And it was, a, I mean, I got some orders from him every week, but this is the first time it was like a $20,000 order. And I realized it was because it was the end of the fiscal. It was June, you know, mm -hmm. early June. And he's got, he wants to fill the shelf with stuff. And so he had to spend it to put it up there. And it was just like, wow, it was just so yeah. shocking to see. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to come back here in a second. One of the things that I want to talk about, mm -hmm. um, is the <clears throat> revocation of the requirement in the BSA that used to, it used to be a requirement, a statutory requirement that 70% of the BSA had to go to the classroom mm -hmm. and that's changed. And, um, <laughs> that has led to, I think what we're talking about here, again, the whole, the bloat on overhead and in administrators versus teachers, you've been talking about that a lot where you've got, you know, three teachers or three administrators in some school districts for every teacher. That's it's led to that. It really has. And that administrative bloat is sucking up a lot of the dollars that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't speak to the exact calculation, but I know there's been discussion where it's, you know, less than 50%. And that's, that's kind of atrocious. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Right. Um, <laughs> anything else that uh, we're about uh, we're about ninety seconds away here? Anything else that was a big surprise to you as you did you dug through this and came out and put all these things together? Anything else that was a big surprise to you before we go back? Uh, just <clears throat> just looking at the way these multipliers blow up uh, the average daily membership. Honestly, um, just 
walking through those calculations myself uh, was a, a pretty uh, informative exercise. Um, and then, you know, the difficulty of finding information prior to, you know, this 2008 um, school funding formula changes, I was looking, I was like, what did our school funding formula look like before? Um, and that's, that's yeah. kind of hard information to find. Um, so yeah, I just pulled <laughs> so many numbers for this that my brain is just scrambled. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting stuff at the end of these adjustment factors, the number of students used for the BSA formula can vary greatly from actual numbers of students being educated. For instance, in Anchorage, the 40,944 average daily student counts as if they are 73,372 students after the adjustments, mm -hmm. the Alaska gateway school district, meanwhile, has a post adjustment ADM of more than four times the 325 average students that it recorded last year. That's, I mean, that's insane. All right. Uh, hold the line. Sarah Montalbano. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Here we go. Sarah Montalbano is our guest from the Alaska Policy Forum. She's the education policy analyst for the uh, APF. And we're talking about her presentation in front of the Joint Committee of Ways and Means in Education on the BSA and everything else, uh, one of the problems that we were just talking about is that the BSA, there used to be a regulation in that 70% of the BSA needed to end up in the classroom. And that has that was gone away here uh, in the last 10 years or so. And that has led directly, I think, to an overhead and bloat in the administrative side. Uh, you have uh, put out some uh, columns and uh and you know analyze some reports that talk about you know we've got some places where there are three administrators almost three administrators for every teacher you know it's usually it, it's it's one to one or one to 1.2 to one a lot of places there are more administrators than there are teachers and that's problematic in the long run uh and i think is led to this bloat that we've talked about in education uh, but let's get down to it, Sarah. What is the solutions? What did uh, what what does your analysis lead you to, and what did you recommend for solutions for the legislature to try and address these problems we have in our education system? Uh, I actually have to unmute Sarah first of all. Let me do that. There you go, Sarah. Sorry about that. There go we ahead. go. My apologies. I should have looked. Um, this gets a little complicated in these next recommendations, um, but some of them I think are useful to look at. Um, as I was mentioning, the school size multiplier I think is too complicated and it is not exactly obvious to me why there needs to be all of these different adjustments for these different factors. And we've discussed this with some experts from other states and they're going, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, so, you know, we could look at, you know, creating a simple whole number weight for schools below a certain size and eliminating it for higher tiers um, and, and solutions like that, that would help to correct this uh, incentive that we have to have smaller schools uh, that are less efficient um, when they don't need to be. Um, and then average daily membership, I think we could be really leveraging uh, as an incentive here. Alaska has the highest rate of chronic absenteeism in the United States. That's 29% of students are chronically absent, which I think is, you know, gone for three weeks or more. I would have to look at Deed's definition. 
Uh, and the fact of the matter is that it is hard to improve outcomes when students aren't in the <laughs> seats, that they're they're not there yeah. learning the material. They don't um, show up, right. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that our, our average daily membership calculation right now, uh, we use an enrollment count period, uh, which is actually pretty unique. Uh, we count over that 20 days in October. Most states are using average daily enrollment through the all or most of the school year. Uh, and so that gives them a better sense, uh, a better representation of what they expect to spend. And then seven states actually use a, a variant of average daily attendance. Um, so they're counting the students present in the school over most or all of the school year. Uh, right. And I'm, I'm loath to say that California does this very well. Um, and they have a 12% chronic absenteeism rate. Um, and so like, that's something we should be thinking about as well uh, in these discussions with the formulas. How do we get students in school to learn this material? Yeah. And then finally, uh, you know, discussing correspondence students, um, this will segue us into our school choice discussion. Um, right, but correspondence right. students are 16.5% of K-12 students in Alaska, but they are only 5% of K-12 expenditures. Um, and so one of the ways we should be looking at this um, is how can we make this fairer for correspondence students? Um, you know, there are correspondence, there's hundreds of correspondence students with special needs or participating in career and technical education. And so why shouldn't they be eligible for these multipliers, um, that 20% up and that one and a half percent up um, to fund them at a more equal level? Um, and then there's students with intensive special needs that aren't getting anything different in their correspondence school funding or their allotment that actually makes it to the families. Um, we could do, parents could do a lot if they got a 10 times multiplier or a 13 times multiplier like students in public schools too. Um, so that's just one thing to consider is how do we make this fairer? How do we also serve our correspondence students as well as we are um, funding the uh, students with these characteristics in traditional public schools? The only difference is where their education is taking place. Well, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, setting aside the special needs and special education component of it, but it, what you're saying, you know, that this public or the uh, the correspondence schools should get, you know, more of the take, yada, yada. See, I would disagree with that. I think we need to go backwards from the other side and say, you need to look at what the correspondence schools are doing with this 90%. Yeah. And if we could take They're all doing of the remarkable schools, stuff. Yeah. If they could do take all of the schools and do it with a 90%, well, we've just shaved 10, you know, you just shaved 10% right off the top, let alone all the multipliers and everything else that are on top of it. That Absolutely. Is, you know, that's the that's part of the problem here. And that's why educational <laughs> choice is so important. And quite honestly, I think that's why it's cropping up all over the US. You're seeing this become a, a rallying cry. I talked about it earlier with Virginia, <clears throat> you know, when Terry McAuliffe got up and basically told people, you don't need you don't get to have a say in what we're teaching your children. And I think that was a I think that was a red flag for many parents across the country when they realized maybe they need to be taking a little bit of a closer hand. And of course, the pandemic, you know, showed that that brick and mortars are not the only answer, you know, whether it's correspondence, homeschooling whether it's distance learning, whether it's, uh, you know, teacher pools or, or, or learning pods or, you know, all these different kinds of things, they are all viable options. 
at the time, they were the only option because brick and mortar schools weren't there. But now people are saying, let me take that money. Let me do with it what I think is best. And I'll, you know, and it, and as, as you showed in, in a lot of your, your uh, presentation, we will deliver a better product in the long run. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really want to bring attention back because we, I'm being accused in the comments of bogging down in the formula. You are right. The goal of all of this discussion is getting each individual child the skills that they need and the education that works best for them. Uh, and I really firmly believe that school choice does this very, very well. It's funny you mentioned the pandemic because correspondence school enrollment almost doubled um, from, I think, 2020 to 2021, 92% uh, growth there. And our level of correspondence students are still 42% over the level they were pre-pandemic. So, you know, a lot of families tried it, some went back, but a lot of them are sticking to it because they like the way that this works for them. Um, and so I I understand the cost savings and it's a, it's a very important part of the program. Um, but there is also, you know, the fact that some parents would want to do this more if there was slightly more uh, that reaches them through their allotment. Um, and, and part of the presentation was actually delivered by my uh, partner. Uh, but he mentioned that he went through a couple scenarios. Okay, what if we restricted correspondence schools? If all of the correspondence school allotment program children went back to public school, uh, brick and mortar school, excuse me, um, that would result in an additional $162 million in funding formula costs. Um, you know, if we were back to pandemic levels of correspondence enrollment, um, you know, we would have funding formula savings of $87 million. Um, So, you know, looking at this, school choice is a good, good bet fiscally uh, for states on a per-student basis. Um, and I have no doubt that it helps academically, socially, economically, all of these benefits that students accrue through having an education customized for them. Right, exactly. What's the choice? We got less than a, about a minute here. What's the choice? I mean, is it a is it a savings account like it is in Arizona? Is it a backpack funding situation where the money follows the student? What I mean, did you guys offer any of that quickly here? Uh, we don't. We didn't offer ideas for new programs. Uh, we said, look, there. Here's the states that are doing ESAs. They're benefiting from this so much. Um, but yeah, the correspondence school program, any way that allows the money to follow the student, I think is a good thing for reaping academic and fiscal benefits. Uh, Sarah Montalbano uh, has been our guest today. Sarah, what else are you working on quickly here before we let you go? What else are you working on next that we need to know about? Oh, gosh. I mean, we've got so many projects in the pipeline and you should um, go to alaskapolicyforum.org and just click subscribe to our newsletter and you will see our our posts as I get them out there. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah has got some great stuff. It's a good education on education. If you go to the Alaska Policy Forum and click on the education links and just work your way back through the articles that Sarah has been working on, a lot of the analysis, some of that stuff is super eye opening. And uh, it'll give you a, a whole new perspective on things. Sarah Montalbano, thank you for joining us on this Montalbano Monday. We appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up uh, tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story will be joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind, love one another, live well.
All right. Uh, final bite at the apple for Miss Education, Sarah Montalbano. <laughs> um, Sarah, final thoughts here as we let you go. I mean, you, you've a great presentation in front of the legislature. You Thank gave us, you. I thought, a pretty good recap here. It's hard when we're breaking it up like this, but I'm it's scattered. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little, you know, and you're not feeling good and everything. But I'll give you final thoughts here. Maybe just some eight and, and uh, you know, what's your suggestion here? Give me, give me your final thoughts. The broad strokes of this presentation uh, are that we have very high per pupil spending accounting for everything. The school funding formula isn't the end all be all of education funding. Um, our outcomes have declined even as we've in, in, increased our spending. Um, and we have so many examples from other states that are doing this well uh, and that we can learn from. And incentives matter. I cannot overstate that. That is the basic premise of uh, economics is that we have these incentives baked into the system and we are going to see more of what we incentivize. I don't think that's a controversial statement at all. Um, so that those are my basic thoughts uh, summary wise for this presentation. Well, we appreciate all you do. We appreciate your hard work and we look forward to... Uh... We look forward to talking to you again soon. I'll be uh, be keeping my my mouse button over the over the AFP website, APF website, so we can follow it and uh, see what you got going on. Thank you for keeping Thank us you. in the loop. We appreciate yeah. appreciate all you do. Feel better, okay? Thank you. Yeah, I'm just Lots of on fluid. course over the hour here, so yeah. I apologize. Go take a nap. Feel better. We <laughs> will see you. Uh, we'll see you later. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Good to talk with you. All right, folks, that brings us uh, over to uh, the end of the show. The end of the show. That's how it works. We appreciate you guys coming in and joining us. Don't forget to check us out at the Common Sense Corps over there. If you want to help support the show, we'd love you to be part of it. Uh, Other than that, we are out of time. We will see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.